Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Nisha Khanna. She's an integrative practitioner focusing on functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So before we started, you had mentioned that as an integrative practitioner, bringing Ayurvedic medicine and functional medicine together, it's East meets West, old meets new. I love that as a philosophy. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what your practice looks like? Yeah, so it's really interesting because I first studied internal medicine and then saw answers beyond what was conventionally taught. Mm. There were a lot of conditions that were idiopathic, which means we don't know. Um, and, uh, and I really wanted to seek a little deeper for answers. Mm -hmm. And I found myself drawn to Ayurveda because being in an Indian family, it was sort of the medicine that got passed down through the generations. And uh, I first saw my Ayurveda, my first Ayurvedic practitioner was in when it, it, maybe cut. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I've, I first had an experience with an Ayurvedic practitioner at age 15, and I continued to follow up after that. And I found myself in medical school, in residency, learning one thing and enjoying learning about the human body, but also uh, realizing that there was all this ancient wisdom that I was drawing from for my own healing and for my own um, kind of preventative medicine. And it was sort of my dream to learn more about it. And after completing medical school residency, working for five years, that's when I um, that's when I had the opportunity to go study Ayurveda in more in in depth. Mm -hmm. And I um, took two years off of just working to go back and study. And I studied with Dr. Ladd in New Mexico, and it was such a, an amazing time in my life. I felt like everything kind of aligned uh, for me to be there. And I felt like I, the sense that when you feel like your soul's purpose is being realized, mm. I had that passion sort of coming up within me that I hadn't really felt with traditional medicine. And so having studied Ayurveda for a couple of years and really being immersed in it, mm -hmm. it was great to then come back to Austin where I, I came to, I lived in Austin for college, uh, come back to Austin and join a functional medicine practice. Functional medicine wasn't something that I was aware of in my training up until moving back here. And I think it was just sort of coming on the forefront at that time. And what was so amazing is that um, I w what I was learning in functional medicine through the training and the experience of working with patients mirrored Ayurveda oh, in wow. that essentially in functional medicine and in Ayurveda, it takes it back to the gut 
back to digestion for optimal healing, prevention of disease, um, regulation of the immune system, of mood. And so it was really amazing because in Ayurveda, we talk about the concept of if you have a strong Agni, which is digestive fire metabolism, then it prevents all disease. And then functional medicine was paralleling this concept with uh, that the gut is the root of all evils. And um, and so when I came back, I was paralleling concepts from my training in Ayurveda and what I was learning through all the research that's been done in functional medicine. And it was a really brilliant time of seeing the ancient wisdom sort of be um, validated in through through research and through studies. And so um, so that's sort of my passion is how do I merge the two um, and create treatment plans that are really individualized for a patient. Um, what I learned through my functional experience is that people often um, end up with a lot of testing and a lot of supplements. Mm. And I feel like My approach is more tailored to the person, so it's not about it's it's not about one size fits all. It's about let's get you get let's get your digestion really strong, and maybe we need to do a functional cleanse followed by an Ayurvedic cleanse for that purpose, and then let's minimize the supplements that you need to take so that you're just not on this like twenty supplement list for the rest of your life. You right. know, like in and. You know, I find that sometimes that can be like a money-making scheme, you know, like someone's on supplements. And I don't think people come to it saying like, oh, I'm just going to make a bunch of money and order a bunch of tests and, you know, have my own brand for supplements. I I think they really think they're helping someone. But Mm -hmm. in Ayurveda, there's the concept that we can only assimilate that which we can digest. And so if your digestion is weak, then you could be taking 20 supplements, eating the best organic food, mm. and it's still turned to toxicity. So, um, so what I try to do in my practice is use the wisdom from both, both um, fields because right. they're both very valid and they both have a similar core philosophy and really tailor treatment to the person so that I'm not just working on the physical plane, but also working on the mind, body, emotional component and and affecting that really deep healing, which I feel like Ayurveda offers because it's such a spiritual science and wisdom Mm -hmm. and not just about the physical. And so drawing from those those two fields as well as some additional training that I've had, I get really excited about that full body, uh, mind, spirit, healing complex that I get to address in my treatment plans. Wow. That is just so fascinating, too, that um, as you're looking through the functional medicine and learning all of these different pieces, it's actually, like you said, just kind of validating all of these concepts that it sounds like you really grew up with that understanding of an Ayurvedic approach. Well, it in Indian cooking in general is Ayurvedic. And I feel like, you know, if you go to an Indian restaurant, that's not indicative of what an Indian uh, plate is like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of heavy cream and oils. And uh, it's not like that if you grow up with Indian food, but like turmeric is, you know, gets a lot of, um, is very popular these days. It's, it's not about, uh, you know, one single spice, but the, the spices that are just 
you know, traditional Indian food that you would eat, you know, your mother's cooking is is Ayurvedic. And they think about the plate in terms of the six tastes and how the six tastes reflect the uh, six phases of digestion. And when you eat a, a plate that is composed of those six tastes, you have a deeper level of satisfaction, but you're also feeding each level of digestion, you know, from stomach to large intestine. And so it's really... Um, kind of a beautiful, I guess, gift that I had to experience that growing up. Right. And then it was a deeper dive when I went into school. Right. So it also sounds like it kind of harkens back to that concept of um, letting food be thy medicine, you know, letting the foods that you're eating really be the first step in how you take care of yourself. Whereas in the West, there's much more of an um, eating for satisfaction, eating for pleasure. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the food manufacturers have really taken advantage of people's cravings for sweet, cravings for salt, so that the food has become almost an assault to our health rather than a key component of building health right as you're sitting there at the dinner table. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit more about that, the Ayurvedic approach to eating? And it really sounds like that is kind of the foundation for good health. Yeah, I would say diet and lifestyle. And it's very unique to the person. So in, um, in sort of our mainstream culture, there's fads that come out like, okay, everything is soy. Okay, everything is like goji berries. Okay, everybody do coconut oil. You know, it's like um, bullet coffees. Like, you know, there's like, and then everybody gets on the bandwagon and is excited about something and, oh, this is helping me. But what I really like about Ayurveda is that it's tailored and it gives you instruction and direction as to what is good for you, for your particular unique constitution and in what time of your life and what season of the, the year, as well as what conditions are actually showing up for you. So for example, um, in, in Ayurveda, there's three con constitutions, major constitutions that could be represented by, say, uh, air, fire, and water. And it's a bit more complex than that, but I'll just simplify it like that. And, um, and so someone who has a really fiery constitution um, can be prone to, say, skin conditions, psoriasis, acne, um, even inflammatory bowel disease, more autoimmune conditions. And what's interesting is, say someone's coming in to see me for um, eczema or acne, then I'm going to be working from a dietary perspective um, to minimize those foods that are aggravating to that constitution. So you wouldn't throw fire on fire. In mm -hmm. Ayurveda, there's the concept that, uh, that opposites balance. And so what I like about Ayurveda is it's so simple. It's just beautiful. Everybody can learn about it and then be empowered for their own health. And they, um, they can make conscious decisions like moment to moment when they are choosing what to eat and how much spice to add. Mm. So for example, you know, it, when we are out of balance, we crave things that are going to further that out of balance. But when we're in balance, we crave the things that keep us in balance. So you can't trust your cravings if you're out of balance. So, for example, I see a lot of patients who um, have these kind of just flaring skin conditions and they're eating a bunch of spicy food. So that's the first thing to go. I say, hey, you know, you know spice. <laughs> Let's cool you down. Mm -hmm. And you can cool someone down through multiple avenues. There's foods, there's herbs, so cooling um, substances to eat would be things like coconut, uh, mint, cilantro, um, uh, 
there's a lot of different, there's whole lists of cooling vegetables, cooling fruits, and it goes, you know, looking at the properties of each substance. So, you know, uh, I'll mainly give people direction as to um, avoid really sour things, avoid really spicy food, uh, actually just eliminate spice for a period of time, except Mm -hmm. there are a few exceptions that are spices that are actually digestive and cooling, and those would be things like coriander and fennel. but uh, and then fr- a little bit of fresh ginger, um, but it, it's just nice to have that dietary piece and then mm-hmm. add a level of another layer of say supplements or herbs that would be cooling on top of that. And then say that person's doing hot yoga, and you say, hey, <laughs> you don't need any more heat. Just just no, just cool yoga, you know, right. in a room temperature room or uh, go skiing or you know something like that. <laughs> so um, so really looking at that whole um, dietary but also lifestyle piece and usually those fiery types they're fiery personalities so they're real driven they've got their to-do list they've everything has to be just perfect and checked mm. and um, and so you actually invite them to have a bit more leisure in their day more re- more relaxation understand what is the root of this perfectionist mindset mm. how can we bring the mind into balance too and what's really beautiful is that as you bring the body into balance you affect the mind. So as you work on the physical plane to uh, to minimize those irritants to that fire quality, uh, then the brain calms down too, and they're less irritable, they're less stressed out, they're less, uh, you know, have to be perfectionist about things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really lovely because um, one of my first newsletters that I ever wrote was, it's not you, it's your pitta. So, so because sometimes I would notice in school, like, oh my God, I'm really irritated. I'm so self, I'm so critical of others and I'm critical of myself too. Okay, I can step aside from that and recognize that doesn't have to be me. And so we can, we can sort of start to understand that our personality is be cr- being created by what we're eating and how mm. we're living, and it doesn't have to define us. And when you recognize that your personality is something that you can actually choose and you can modify through what you're eating, it's really amazing. Because when the, those things would happen to me, when I would get you know more uh, upset or critical, I would be like, oh, okay, my pitch is elevated, so I'm gonna you know take the, this cooling aloe vera gel internally, and I'm going to you know modify my diet a little little bit. And, uh, and then lo and behold, a few days later, I'm like back to being Zen and happy. Wow. That's incredible. And I was really intrigued when you said that when we're out of balance, we will crave the things that will put us more out of balance. Can you speak a little bit more about that and maybe how people could, um, you know, ascertain whether they are in balance or out of balance and to know whether to trust those cravings or whether to maybe see the cravings as an indication of, you know, what is out of balance for their condition. Yeah, sure. So it's it's interesting that brought to mind this Sanskrit um, sutra, which is basically like a rhythmic phrase that helps you unlock the wisdom from the ancient um, ancient Vedic uh, scriptures. And so it translates to balanced doshas, sama uh, agni, so balanced digestion, balanced doshas. And it's talking about balance in all the processes so mm. of the body. So uh, balanced metabolism, 
digestion, the doshas or the elements of the body, um, and balance bodily processes, including elimination, as well as bliss in the mind, soul, and senses. So in, in essence, I was like, oh, okay, so it's just telling you that health equals enlightenment. And so, but, but that's one, you can look at this definition of health and know how close to balance you are. So for example, if, if you feel energetic and you feel like you don't have any gas or bloating and you have a good appetite and you sleep well and you have, um, uh, you're, you're peaceful, you're happy, you're joyful, you're excited to share whatever it is that you share during the day, um, then you probably are in balance. <laughs> You know, but if you're, um, if you're, you know, the opposite. So if you're having disturbed sleep, if you're having acne, if you're having irregular menses, if you're having um, a lot of anxiety, stress, insomnia, mm -hmm. you know, like, then you know, okay, I'm not in balance. I can't trust my craving for popcorn and dry raw vegetables because that's just going to exacerbate the the air and space element, which is going to pr promote more of that. So. Mm -hmm. I'll explain that a little bit more. So uh, when vata is out of balance, which is the air and space element, then it can lead to racing thoughts, anxiety, insomnia, inability to gain weight. Um, and you've probably, you know, we've probably all met people that were like, wow, okay, that's, and that's, you know, typical. Mm -hmm. they, they look like they could have that imbalance. And Maybe that's just the lens that I take. <laughs> so I can look at different people and sort of assess, okay, I know what your digestion's like. I know what you, you know, what your sleep is probably like, what wow. emotions you tend to. And so it, it really is an unlocking once you get this education and once you, you know, and this is self-education too, you know, it's something that we can all learn um, either through a practitioner or through books and then learn more about ourself, our tendencies. And so kind of back to your question, um, it's just, um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, um, the question was just, you know, for someone who's, you know, maybe wondering if their cravings are, um, are healthy or if they're out of balance and they need to be more wary of their cravings, like yeah. how you would know. And I think you answered that. Okay. Um, it is interesting in the world of wellness. Um, so many of us have you know, maybe accepted our condition as it is. Um, for example, you know, headaches. Um, I've heard people say that, you know, if you're having more than one or two headaches a year, that's too many. But I know so many people who maybe have a headache um, once a week, twice a week, several times a month. Um, so it's just as an example of where we maybe accept a condition as that's just who we are or going back to the emotional piece. Oh, I'm just somebody who's high strung. I have a short um, patience, I'm irritable, etc. But maybe being able to see that those things, like you said, are not really you, they are your symptoms of this imbalance. And yeah. so with this knowledge, you can actually help to um, bring your body back into balance and maybe reduce those headaches or reduce that irritability or tendency towards, you know, aggression or, or upset. Yeah, um, that's exactly true. And so we don't have to have our diagnoses and our tendencies um, as part of our definition of identity. You know, and so we can, we can, through coming back into balance, we can really, it's almost like 
a, a rebirth because you can mm. choose who you are and who you want to be. And when you're not that person, then you know that something's off and you know you just need to take a supplement or change your diet or change your lifestyle, just a little bit tweaking. And so that's that's the beauty is that um, it's almost like a return to self and it's a return to the balance within yourself that exists in most people from birth. And then, you know, life happens and <laughs> our parents feed us things and, you know what I mean? And then that then we start to think, oh, no, I'm just the person who tends to be kind of overweight or I'm that person who tends to headaches or, you know, it's it. But those are those are just clothes in a way. And you can you can put on a new set if you if you get back to balance. And one of the best ways to do that is to do a reset with something like an Ayurvedic cleanse. Um, and and that sort of is the fast track to getting back into balance. And then from there, it's just about maintenance. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more of what, um, I guess, is part of that cleanse or the process of it? Yeah, sure. And so that's where um, something I'm really passionate about, which is the blend of functional medicine and Ayurveda, Ayurveda comes together. Because um, the Ayurvedic cleanse is essentially lightening the diet, lightening digestion, so that the digestive energy can be used to process undigested food from times past, emotions, toxicity that's lodged within the body. And you do that most of the time over about seven to nine days. Um, you're not um, starving. You're still eating food, uh, mostly cooked lentils and rice and vegetables, uh, essentially a warm soupy diet. So this is something that someone could do even without the guidance of a practitioner. They could still get um, some benefit. Um, it is best to do it with kind of the other therapies too. Mm. However, even if someone just wanted to do a quick reset, they could take three days of just having warm cooked soupy food and they would notice an improvement in their digestion, in their, you know, maybe even have some detox weight loss. Um, so it's... Um, it's really nice to have that tool. Uh, for example, with myself, if I ate heavy the night before or the you know day before or you know just maybe traveling or something like that, mm -hmm. then I'll follow it with say three days of a really nice modified modified diet with broth and um, and. Uh, cooked vegetables and lentils in a kitchery type um, preparation, which is when you mix rice and lentils and vegetables together with cooked spices and um, and follow it with that. So, for example, I was just in Sedona for the past week weekend and it was really good, healthy food, but it was still probably a bit more than I would usually eat. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the past three days, I'm kind of uh, detoxing and I'm following a diet like that. And it's interesting because, you know, I have a scale and I don't I know that there's a lot of controversy around using scales but for me it helps me you know realize where I am on the toxicity scale so each day that I've been back I've lost one pound you know wow. because detox weight we lose very fast and um, and so it's it's nice to have these measures that um, will let us know when we're out of balance. So the scale could be one. Mm -hmm. um, if you know that your usual is around a certain set point, there's no way we can gain five pounds in two days and actually be 
uh, weight that is, um, you know, fat cells and things like that. It's just toxicity weight where we retain water. Wow. And, um, and so that is weight that comes off really fast. And so when I'm working with patients as well, um, sometimes they do like an Ayurvedic cleanse like that and um, and they'll lose 10 pounds in the first two weeks and it's a safe weight loss because it's really just the toxicity weight coming off and so every pound uh, every um, yeah every um, uh, every well, I'm sorry no, it's okay. lost it. <laughs> um, there's some, some conversion about um, yeah anyway never mind um, <laughs> So, so back to talking about how functional medicine relates to that is that because the Ayurvedic detox diet is light, easily digestible starches, essentially lentils and rice and some proteins, um, sometimes patients can't tolerate that level of starch right off the bat if they have gut dysbiosis, which is an overgrowth of organisms in the gut. And so I'll do a functional type cleanse with some uh, herbal supplements directed to that, uh, start some probiotics, really get their digestion tuned up from a dysbiosis standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then when they're ready, introduce them to the Ayurvedic cleanse, which um, then won't aggravate any condition of candida or other other issues that might exist because they had the intense dysbiosis before. Right. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. Just out of curiosity, you know, among the patients that you see, um, how common is that gut dysbiosis? Well, I think it's probably about 95% of people. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, if you think about it, um, our parents didn't know that antibiotics are bad for you. Um, and many people still don't know that. And I, um, I also work in telehealth for part of the day, so I have my private practice, but I'm also kind of keeping up with some respect with, um, with you know, modern medicine um, in a clinical setting. And uh, I, I'm always educating patients about the use of antibiotics and, uh, and what that can do. Um, and, you know, we really only want to use an antibiotic when it's fully indicated because I feel like, well, I know they are over prescribed you know mm. so patient comes in and doctor has 10 minutes with them they're like and the patient came to the doctor they hope to receive something other than just do salt water gargles and take flonase <laughs> and use mucinex you know they came for a prescription right. so a lot of doctors are and this is this is changing as the guidelines are really reflecting um, what is appropriate practice, mm. but it's about changing that patient who is um, who's used to getting a prescription for every cold or allergy symptom. And mm. so, what's happening is that every time a patient is exposed or a person is exposed to an antibiotic. Um, the intestinal bacteria, good as well as bad, get wiped out, and a lot of those good strains are never recovered. Mm. And so. A lot of those healthy probiotic strains are responsible for 
preventing autoimmune diseases, preventing weight gain and obesity and uh, appropriate mood and happiness, wellness, you know. And so every time someone takes an antibiotic, they're losing some of their good bacteria that they can't recover in the future, no matter how many probiotics you take after it. Wow. So if you think about it, most kids have been exposed to at least, you know, 10 antibiotics in their childhood. And then they continue to have yearly sinus infections where they get another antibiotic. And then it's no um, surprise that, you know, when they're in their 30s and 40s, they start really manifesting a lot of medical conditions. Mm. And if not sooner, you know, because it's the over prescription of antibiotics. And um, so when you ask who, you know, who has got dysbiosis, (laughs) pretty much anybody who's um, had, you know, a series of antibiotics especially as a child when you have a very um, kind of tender immune system you know mm-hmm. you're just building it right. and um, and so that as well as oral contraceptive use so uh, for any time for greater than three years that will affect the microbiome um, and uh, or basically um, glyphosate affects your microbiome so that's um, roundup which is um, on non-organic crops but you know in America they spray it everywhere so a lot of (laughs) farms are getting contaminated no matter whether it's wheat or not Mm -hmm. so um, so heavy metals affect the microbiome so we're exposed to things like fluoride in the water it's just um, it's this constant assault on our intestinal health Mm -hmm. and so I'm surprised if someone doesn't have dysbiosis. Wow. And then, you know, I definitely think that that cumulative effect is so important for people to understand that there's all of these little pieces, but it's probably not any one of those little pieces that's solely responsible when you take all of the pieces together and then consider what the average diet is for most people, just highly processed. You know, and like you said, even, you know, if you are eating, um, even if you are eating your seven to nine servings of vegetables per day, which I think is not really common for people, a lot of times even those vegetables are sprayed with pesticides and glyphosate, et cetera. So um, definitely just recognizing that it's not this one thing, but all of these different pieces together um, helps people kind of understand how they ended up in that situation, um, especially for the people who are mostly healthy. Mm. You know, they're trying to eat right. They're trying to be active. Um, and that is really kind of the most difficult um, situation, you know, where, for people who feel like they've been trying to do really well. Um, and then somehow they've ended up with, you know, basically dysfunction of digestion or whatever different symptom that manifests for them. Um, so can you... You kind of vaguely mentioned um, the functional cleanse that helps to restore the gut biome. Can you go a little bit more into detail with that? And you had mentioned that taking probiotics alone won't necessarily correct the gut dysbiosis. Yeah. So, I mean, there's many variations out there, but what I typically do is guide patients through about a month of uh, cleanse where they're eating a paleo-type diet, so they're really trying to starve out any candida, parasites, things that feed off of sugars and um, in a high-carbohydrate diet. Um, And so... um, so the diet is pretty much that piece, and then I'll add in an herbal supplement that is pretty broad spectrum for you know things with oregano oil and grapefruit seed extract that that cover um, uh, 
a, a large population of different organisms mm. to bring those levels down. And, um, and then add in a probiotic and maybe follow it with some glutamine to rebuild the gut. Um, and, um, and a lot of patients do really well with that. They'll notice um, increases in energy, um, memory, better mm -hmm. sleep, better, you know, things that they weren't even expecting. You know, mm -hmm. I've had patients that were, say, coming in for vaginal yeast infections that were very frequent then do a cleanse such as this and then be like, and my skin looks amazing, you know, right. and I've never had clear skin like this. And so it's just all these side benefits that also happen as we look to the gut because we know that it's in the center of our body. So it's playing a central role mm -hmm. in our health. And, um, and it's something that I think is now getting a lot of um, acknowledgement, but for a, a lot, a large, you know, portion of time there, people were really just looking at, oh, well, I have this thing here. Now I need to fix this, you know, versus let me look at the whole system mm. and then we'll fix things that we didn't even know, you know, were a problem. Right. Yeah. Those things that people had just accepted, like, oh, I don't have clear skin mm -hmm. or I, I don't sleep well. I just, you know, I've had people come to me and say, oh, yeah, I just I only sleep three or four hours a night. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean that it's healthy for you to only sleep three or four hours a night. And let's talk about maybe why, you know, your body is not able to have that, you know, appropriate sleep. And that level of stress affects the microbiome too, you know, so mm -hmm. um, having these infections in the gut stresses the adrenals and, um, and also there, there's this kind of gut brain connection, which, mm -hmm. um, it, what I find really interesting is that we might think that, well, we just have a sweet tooth or we crave sweets or we crave, you know, have cravings for fried fatty food. But we it, it's it's peeling the layers back so that you you recognize that your identity is actually quite separate mm. from these things. Um, you don't have to be that person that craves sweet things. Actually, there's a lot of research that shows that the it's the overgrown, for example, yeast that are mm. releasing neuropeptides and uh, that are signaling to the brain to eat sugar. And so as you clear up the gut, then the cravings shift too. And like, oh my God, it's been weeks and I haven't wanted anything sweet, you know? And so that's the really kind of powerful piece for me too, is that um, to it's empowering to not be governed by cravings. When you get into balance, you're not pulled in different directions. And then you mm. can really get to that centered place within yourself and be like, okay, what's good for me? What's good for my body today? And you're not being like, oh my God, I just need some sugar to, you know, function for the rest of the day. Or mm -hmm. if I don't get something sweet tonight, then I'm, you know, not going to be happy, you know? Right. And it is interesting how our... Um, our, our emotional happiness and a lot of times our emotional coping comes back to food. And we have that concept of comfort foods, um, which unfortunately are really not the most healthful foods for us. So it's interesting that when we are craving comfort, there's that disconnect in, I guess, the gut or the gut brain connection that has us crave foods that are really only going to worsen the situation rather than resolve it. Um, and that kind of is, uh, Maybe just reaffirming the statement that you made earlier about how when we're out of balance, our body will be craving the things yeah. that will only put us more out of balance. And, I mean, it's also 
um, looking at things in terms of energy. So, for example, the, the sweet taste represents the energy of love. And so where in our life where we, where we, are we not feeling fed by love? Mm. And so, um, you know, I had a, a, one of my teachers in Ayurvedic school mentioned, well, how about when, you, you know, you have a sugar craving, why don't you substitute it with reading a beautiful poem or looking at a sunset or going for a walk? Mm. You know, something that's going to nourish your spirit in other ways. And a lot of times when someone does have a craving for something or myself, all you need to do is do something else that brings you enjoyment and um, and usually that craving goes away. It's like you kind of get up, get into your your energy, mm-hmm. um, activate your body, move those muscles, like do something that is going to shift the focus so that it's not always about I'm only fed through the mouth, you know? Right. Can you talk a little bit more about the different flavors and what they signify? That's really fascinating. Um, well, let's see. Um, I don't know if I have it all kind of mapped out, but I know... So there's in, in Ayurveda, there's different tastes and um, the six different tastes are sweet, salty, sour, bitter, astringent. Did I get them all? <laughs> yeah, sweet, sour, salty, um, bitter, astringent, pungent. Okay. The different tastes are composed of different elements that make them up. And you can look at the elemental makeup of a food to determine if it's going to be supporting you or bring, or put it, pushing you further out of balance. So uh, along the same example of um, uh, flared acne or eczema, um, that's we're saying it's the fire element, which is out of balance. So you're going to want to stay away from really pungent, spicy food. So pungent, again, is has the fire element in it. Mm. And so you can look at the elements that compose a food. So, for example, um, bitter, bit, um, is, bitter and astringent foods are, are both vata aggravating because they have a lot of cold quality. They're composed of space, of air, and... Um, and so when someone's really aggravated, for example, having insomnia, you would avoid those bitter astringent foods. And so mm. an example of uh, something astringent would be like um, the puckering that you get in your mouth when you have an unripe banana or pomegranates can also be astringent. So um, it's, it's anything that's going to suck up water. And so when you think of vata or the air and space element, it's already dry. So that could show up as constipation for some people. And actually, that's probably one of the first ways it shows up. Um, And so you'd want to avoid things that have that bitter astringent quality because they're just going to suck up more of that water. Interesting. And how would you recommend that, um, you know, as someone, I know that there are, you know, resources and stuff where you can take um, quizzes to figure out, you know, where you fall and which is your, you know, dominant dosha. Is there a recommendation that you would give for somebody um, if they were wanting to go and try to maybe get to the root of their own system or their own condition? Yeah, there are a lot of different questionnaires out there. Um, I've used the one uh, with Banyan Botanicals, and that's just banyanbotanicals.com. Um, it's a good place to start, and the way I would suggest taking it is taking it twice. So take Take it once for what's going on with you currently and then once for what was true for you for most of your childhood and young adulthood because mm. um, in, in Ayurveda there's a concept of Vikriti and Prakriti. So Prakriti is your innate constitution and Vikriti is the current imbalance. And so the Vikriti 
can say show up vata aggravation or pitta aggravation, but you could actually be a kapha constitution. And so if that's the case, then you want to do the dietary and lifestyle recommendations to manage the current imbalance, but you don't want to forget that your baseline constitution is actually something else. Mm. And so I'll give you an example of that. So for example, if someone is a kapha const or someone's a vata constitution, but they have a kapha imbalance, so maybe that's showing up as hypothyroidism. And, um, and so for that type of dosha and doshic imbalance, what you would do is try to pacify both of them. And so usually the food spectrum is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So one is sweet, he eats uh, sweet fruits, and the other one's saying eat astringent fruits. So then you're just like confused, right? right. So, <laughs> so what I would suggest, if that's the case, is that you would uh, you would follow the dietary guidelines of of the kapha constitution, but they maybe prepare prepare them in a vata way. So, for example, maybe you would have um, b b unripe bananas, but you would cook them, and mm. you would serve them, you know, with some spices because spices are good for both. So, prepared in a vata way means moistened and warm, versus a cold food. So you can do things to mitigate both imbalances uh, without throwing one completely out of the window and then, then you're left with another imbalance. Right. But what I would say is it's probably most important to direct your attention to the current imbalance to bring it back and then, um, and then you can start focusing on the baseline constitution. Wow. And then, you know, to ask you again, among the, the patients that you see, um, is there a common trend of, you know, certain ailments and certain imbalances that you see commonly? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's really interesting. I feel like a lot of practitioners maybe attract patients that are either reflect something they've overcome or gone through themselves and then overcome mm. or something that they're currently working on. <laughs> so um, so I will see certain waves of patients come through based on things that I've sort of overcome myself. Um, but um, I would say where I feel the most resonance in terms of feeling really confident about um, what, it, what the management strategies are would be um, optimal weight um, really good sleep and, um, and then uh, really good digestion and balancing sex hormones. So those are sort of the areas that I um, advertise that I feel really good about treating. And so I think that's what comes to me is because if you specify, well, I, I do this really well, then mm -hmm. that's what, you know, people are going to be, oh, okay, I'll come see you for that. So um, I really light up with hormone balancing. I think it's fascinating and I really enjoy sort of the functional bioidentical approach to balancing both sex hormones um, for women going through perimenopause, menopause, as well as uh, working with the thyroid to get that balance really good um, of both the T4, T3 combination. Mm -hmm. And then do you have any, um, I don't know, I guess, uh, hunch or gut feeling, so to speak, in terms of, you know, underlying factors, you know, that are maybe either 
causing those things for people or you know I know you talked a lot about the gut dysbiosis and that kind of at the root of their body not being able to absorb the nutrients that they need and not being able to get rid of the things that the body doesn't need yeah is there anything else like that that you see commonly yeah, well, it's an interesting because the dysbiosis usually is the root cause of the other hormonal imbalances. Mm-hmm. Um, so what m- my approach is to work on that root cause level and then also work on the other layers that sort of manifest out from that. So, for example, if someone has dysbiosis, then they often will have or they can have bacteria that are supposed to um, – supposed to allow the estrogen to move through the liver and get detoxified and stay deconjugated and allow it to go back into the stool for elimination Mm. uh, or go into the stool for elimination. However, when there is an overgrowth, there's bacteria in the gut that unconjugate the estrogen and allow it or they modify the estrogen so that you actually resorb it back into your body. And then you end up with more estrogen than you should have because the elimination process has been thwarted. And so um, then you end up with estrogen-dominant conditions, which can show up as multiple things, so heavy periods, PMS, menorrhagia, ovarian cysts, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's interesting because that you can't just treat the hormones. They right. might just need progesterone to balance out the estrogen, and I could definitely prescribe that, but I'm not going to do that without working on the gut, which is the root cause. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing with the thyroid. And so... It's um, the dysbiosis that's driving the estrogen dominance, which can then affect the thyroid as well. And, um, and so then the other piece to the thyroid is when the gut is stressed, the body senses that as internal stress. So they could be yogis on a mountaintop <laughs> and not have any external stress, mm. um, but they're they're going to experience the internal stress of inflammation of the body, the immune system acting up, trying to fight these overgrown organisms. And then, um, and then that's going to affect the adrenals. And so the adrenals will experience that as stress, which will then lead to thyroid imbalances because the adrenals and thyroid talk to each other. Mm-hmm. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. In addition to, you know, had kind of talked about um, the Ayurvedic cleanse, taking um, soups. Can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, maybe soup in general? So I've heard uh, from different sources um, things like having um, a warm bowl of soup before a meal. It's a really effective way to stimulate digestion. Um, So I think it's really fascinating that then um, your approach to cleansing or the Ayurvedic approach to cleansing is really largely using those kind of warm soups as a tool. So I just think yeah. that's really interesting. And I love soup. So. Oh, good. And it's, it's winter now. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, the, what, the way I explain it to patients that I think it makes a lot of sense is that um, anytime you eat something, 
it's food on your plate, but your body has to take that through the process of your mouth, going into your stomach and, cre and pretty much make a smoothie out of it, a warm smoothie <laughs> or a soup, um, because that's the liquid is going to be what goes through the rest of the intestines. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to go through your small intestine. And so the that's where the aspect of chewing your foods so that it becomes a liquid comes into play, because um, because you want to relieve whatever stress on your body possible by mm -hmm. making it its job easier. So in a way, pre-digesting your food for it. And then it will keep your energy stores available for either more energy for your day or more energy to digest other waste that may have accumulated from the day before or months before. And so, um, so in general, warm liquids and warm food is better is uh, better, easier to digest mm. for that purpose because your body doesn't have to use as much effort to do it. Interesting. And so, you know, I've heard the recommendation to not drink, you know, iced water, cold water, because your body actually has to warm the liquid up in order for it to pass through digestion. Is that kind of a similar concept? Yeah, and also cold liquids cause vasoconstriction, so that's constricting of the blood vessels. And when you think about digestion, you're actually trying to bring blood flow to the area so that you can absorb the nutrients. And so when you cool things down, you're pretty much shutting off the uh the vasculature to that wow. area and so your absorption won't be as well either. Okay, so do you recommend that people, um, I guess, just try to avoid those cold liquids? Oh yeah, for, <laughs> I mean, there are very rare, rare circumstances where I think a cold liquid is indicated, especially iced. And so we'll joke with people that are kind of in my friend circle or, um, you know, thinking on the, along the same Ayurvedic lines, like, you know, someone, you go to sit at a restaurant and they bring you like ice waters all around. Mm -hmm. Like I look at that as like, oh my God, like, that's the worst thing I could have with my meal um, because it's pretty much like everything you eat, you're going to just shut it down. Mm. And so it's, um, it's, it's really not indicated. I'll maybe have something iced when it's really hot in Texas in the summer, but right. it won't be anywhere near a meal. A meal. Okay. So, for example, you know, and I actually don't use ice at all, but I'll have something from the fridge. So usually everything I drink is uh, room temperature or hot. And it's, and it's interesting because I feel like someone who's used to drinking ice water, they're like, oh, that's gross. I'll never have that. Um, but the more you do it, the, you feel so good that mm -hmm. you get used to it. And then all you want is hot water or room temperature water. And, it, and when you have something cold, it feels like a shock to your system. Right. Interesting. So that's a great um, a great recommendation, just um, avoiding ice liquids, especially um, before or right after mealtime. I guess. Yeah, I would say at least a couple hours in each direction. Interesting. And you're right. You know, we live um, in Texas where it gets very warm. Um, so cold smoothies, cold juices, of course, ice water is the typical thing that you're going to receive. Um, speaking to things like smoothies and juices, mm -hmm. um, are those still healthy things even though they're typically cold? Well, so <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot of controversy and I don't usually make a lot of blanket statements um, for patients because for some things, for somebody, something might be toxic based on what they're going through and the other person, they can tolerate it and they feel good and it's okay. Um, it's still not, 
you know, the recommendation. But mm -hmm. if it's something that someone uh, is not experiencing a negative effect with and right. they um, and they're overall doing well, then I will sort of tease out when I first meet someone, like, which are the things that you really don't want to give up? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> part of it is building rapport, but part of it is also, um, you know, wanting someone to still feel like their life has meaning and they're satisfied. And right. we can really attach to certain foods. Like, for example, some people are really attached to their morning coffee. And so if they're willing to do, and, you know, and I can see like, okay, well, that's not ideal. But if they're willing to make some other changes that are going to have a significant benefit, then maybe I'll say, okay, we'll switch to maybe green tea a couple days and have coffee on the weekends or something like that as mm -hmm. a treat versus your daily dose of coffee. So, right. um, so it really is kind of dependent. So back to smoothies then, one of the biggest problems I see with smoothies is that people throw so much in there. And so in Ayurveda, there is the concept of food combining, which mm -hmm. I tend to, to follow and promote. Um, again, there's a whole spectrum of how strict are you on this? You know, some right. people say, okay, if you're putting it all in a blender, you're helping with the digestion process, then they're all in there getting along anyway, it's okay. Um, and other people say you don't mix fruit with spinach or other greens, for example. You really? keep your fruit separate <laughs> by an hour. And so fruit and nuts go well okay together because they're sort of all in the fruit nut family. Um, so, you know, for example, with um, a lot of people being dairy-free these days, it isn't as much of an issue because then they'll have their almond milk with their, their fruit smoothie or they'll put they'll get an almond yogurt and put fruit on it and it's okay but um but you wouldn't r really recommend doing that with dairy because mm. of the different uh digestion times for each substance so the f the fruit digests really fast it's actually considered pre-digested or pre-cooked by the sun and the uh, yogurt for example is really heavy. It's a heavy protein. It's going to stay in the stomach longer. Mm. And then the fruit and the protein would sort of stick, stay together because you ate them at the same time and one would ferment and lead to more kind of fermentation acidity and then maybe more dysbiosis. Wow. Can you um, explain a little bit more about the food combining? Uh, we see a lot of questions about this, so it's definitely an interesting topic. Yeah, so one of the easiest ways I explain it is keep your fruit separate. Like it's really easy to do and um, to just have fruit as a snack. So for example, when someone goes to a buffet and there's like steak and then there's watermelon and then there's orange juice, like that's like, if you were to look at your tongue the next day, I'm sure you'd see <laughs> a pretty thick coating, which is a measure of how how, to how much toxicity you have that you can check day to day. And so- Just by looking at the tongue. Yeah, it's really good. It's kind of like, I'm sort of obsessed with always looking at my tongue and <laughs> different lights, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like your feedback from your body that tells mm. you how you're doing. And the other interesting piece is that when you've when you've had a really emotional day, um, and say you were really emotional while you were eating, then um, you don't digest very well because of that again that gut brain connection, mm. and um, and so e even emotional waste will show up on the tongue. So um, that's a, a like an interesting thing to sort of follow when mm -hmm. you get used to looking at your tongue. You can be like. 
And then you can use that as a tool. So if you see a really thick coating, then you know that you should probably fast for at least half the day that day or have your warm cooked soupy foods or just do broth for a part of the day um, mm. to give your body time to catch up so that it doesn't keep accumulating. Interesting. So fruits separately. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've heard a recommendation that like you should only eat fruit in the morning. Is that something that you... Um, recommend? Or? I have heard that. It's not a full Ayurvedic concept to do that. I think the one of the ideas behind that, too, is probably because you don't actually need those energy stores of like simple, um, easy to digest carbohydrates late in the day. So hmm. it's probably better to have it in the morning. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy in the functional world. You know, they're like, yeah, you need to start your day with some protein, you know. Mm. Uh, um, so I I don't think that I'm as strict about having fruit just in the morning. What I usually suggest is having it at least an hour before food or at least two hours after food. And then that way it sort of gives your, it, it lets the food pass out of the stomach into the small intestine before you introduce something else. Mm. But ideally... Um, people should be waiting anywhere from four to six hours before they eat again. So there's a lot of confusion out there about snacking, you know, is snacking good or not? And in Ayurveda, they actually suggest, and there is functional data to support this too, that um, it's better to eat at, you know, every six hours because um, that's all six phases of digestion, all six tastes. And also um, it prevents the reflux of organisms from the colon into the small intestine, mm. which then could lead to things like SIBO if you are eating too frequently. Interesting. Yeah, that is definitely a big topic, you know, um, especially in the realm of like considering the blood sugar, you know, problems that can happen if people are eating really constantly. Then I've also heard recommendations that to keep your blood sugar stable, then you'd want to eat more frequently. So it's very interesting how much kind of conflicting information that we get about that. Um, and it really is, again, like constitution and patient dependence. So, right. so, so more of a pitta type of digestion is really fast and quick. And so they can, they actually get really hungry for their next meal at four hours. And they've gone through the whole six stages of digestion. So it's okay for them to eat. Um, at that four-hour interval mm -hmm. versus someone with a more kapha, slower digestion should really wait the six hours. And oftentimes I'll only recommend that they have two meals a day, kind of at like 10 and 5, and give them mm -hmm. a long uh, break. Um, and it's always different depending on if someone's taking insulin and are they, you know, are they diabetic and things right, like that. So right. you, you look at the individual um, when you're coming up with a plan. But, you know, if, they're not, if that's not the case, then usually just two meals a day is all they need. And then they get that long fast. And I think that's part of the benefit of intermittent fasting is that you're basically giving your digestion time to rest. It doesn't need to to be working all the time, like, okay, mm -hmm. what's coming in now? What's coming in now? You know, it's like, right. it, it's, it's good to give it that stability and give it a break. Interesting. So lastly about food combining, the other major point is to, um, to try to not mix proteins. So for example, 
the protein from dairy with legume protein or um, meat protein. So some sometimes when you'll go to, say, like a Mexican restaurant, um, you'll have, like, beans with your chicken enchilada and then have sour cream or, you know, those are three different types of proteins all on one plate. Mm. And so in Ayurveda, they say get your protein from one source in each meal. So either you just have beans or you just have chicken or you just have cheese, you know. Okay. But then, so taking the example of the soup that you mentioned with, like, rice, lentils, and vegetables. That's just one protein. So, because lentils are your main source, even though you have some other components that contain some protein in the vegetables and stuff. Yeah, it's more like the the most protein-rich source. So, like, legumes... Um, and nuts would be okay, even though they have some protein, but it's more like legumes, animal protein, um, or dairy protein. You don't want to mix all those together. Interesting. Man, I can only think of about 500 different meals <laughs> that do exactly that. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more? You had mentioned earlier um, that a meal that contains the six different tastes will be the most um, satisfying to the body. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe like examples? Yeah. Um, so the, the dish that comes to mind is this cauliflower dish I made and it, um, like, I can't even describe how satisfying it was because I was consciously thinking of, okay, I'm going to put all six tastes in this. So mm-hmm. the cauliflower is, um, is, has some astringency. Um, and then I tossed it with some, um, with some ginger and that gave it the pungency. And then, and there was also some mustard seeds, which also have some pungent quality. And, um, and then I added a squeeze of lime juice for sour. And then, um, and then I think I added some shredded coconut for sweet and served it either probably with some rice or um, I don't remember. Oh, there were some sweet potatoes in there. Mm. And so that was um, the sweet taste. And so uh, we had um, uh, and then I also used some other spices like turmeric, which has some bitterness. And it, turmeric actually has a lot of the spice spec, uh, the, a lot of the taste spectrum. Even mm. ginger has a lot of the taste spectrum. Um, but in, in essence, sort of consciously creating a meal. And I also know of um, some Ayurvedic chefs that, you know, create six taste bowls, you know, Mm. so like a Buddha bowl that that is consciously thinking about, okay, I'm going to represent each taste. And that way um, you end up getting the colors of the rainbow, variety, but also the six tastes. Very interesting. So is there anything else that you want to share as kind of a closing thought or? Uh, We've covered a lot. Yeah, we have. (laughs) Well, just that, um, you know, I think it's really important to um, to be aware of what's right for your body, Mm -hmm. for your constitution to really try to get in back into balance so that you can then begin to trust yourself again and to um, to really be conscious, you know, with your choices, because we have so much power to change the things that are you know, thinking about life is happening to us. It's not. We can actually, you know, make uh, be be in charge. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's it's a very empowering health perspective that you're not stuck with something. There are certain things in Ayurveda where it may have gone, the imbalance has gone on for so long and it's actually created structural shifts or damage that then it's very difficult to reverse it. Mm-hmm. So um, something like osteoarthritis or cancer may be an example of that. Um, but in many cases, before it's lodged into the structural system, 
there is the option to uh, or the possibility to really reverse it. And so it's very liberating and it's very empowering. And so I encourage everybody to um, to seek out that knowledge so mm -hmm. that they can make those conscious decisions for themselves. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the program today. And I definitely look forward to having you back to maybe delve a little deeper into some of these other topics. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I also want to thank all of you for tuning into the podcast today. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you'll join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.